Hello, welcome back to Being Black with Camille Smith, and today we are welcoming DeMonte. This episode is sponsored by Women Who Engineer, the epicenter for women in and aspiring to be in STEM. Follow them on Instagram for a daily dose of women kicking ass. He actually was born in Oakland, California and raised in Philadelphia, and during his undergrad, he studied social work at Temple University and social work with a clinical focus for his master's at University of Pennsylvania, which is extremely impressive. In the future, he hopes to revitalize his community through his real estate and creative programming efforts centered around mental health and life skills, skilled trades, and business and entrepreneurship. In a nutshell, he wants to make conversations and resources around these topics more accessible to underserved communities. Without further ado, Monte, what does being Black mean to you? Oh, man. Um, being Black is everything to me. Um, and I think that definition has changed a lot throughout my life. Um, I would say over the last few years of my life, it's just become increasingly important for me, not only to be back black, but to take pride in being black. I think that's something that I didn't really do before. Um, so I think by taking pride, I just mean like embracing the culture, embracing the heritage um, and seeing ways that I can use, you know, whatever influence, um, knowledge base and connections I have to make an impact and, you know, make things easier for future generations. So I think uh, being black is everything to me. Awesome. And then do you have an actual concrete memory of the first time you realized that you were black? It would have to be in elementary school. Um, my childhood was kind of weird. It was different from the average black experience because I was raised in a West African household. Um, my grandmother is a, a, a African immigrant from Monrovia, Liberia, um, and she raised me. So I, I felt like growing up, it was always this interesting dynamic between being like an American born black person and then being uh, a black person from Africa. Um, so I feel like due to my cultural customs in the home, whether it be like our food, styles of dress, it's just totally different. So when I would go out into the community and go to school, it's almost like I was wearing like a mask of my true identity. So my friends would say things like African booty scratcher or like you stink because, you know, some of the foods have like strong um, smells. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's, uh, those smells are definitely foreign to the average person. So I felt like as I experienced that, I just wanted to get as far away from that as possible. So I tried so hard to assimilate to the dominant uh, American black person culture. So I think um, definitely in elementary school, I realized I was black, um, probably not in the traditional way, um, but definitely then. And I think also just like being in elementary school in like a impoverished neighborhood, um, you go on field trips and you see like the resources that other schools have, or you play sports and you visit the other sites that the other teams play at, and you're like, look at their uniforms, look at our uniforms, look at their field where they play, look at their gymnasium. Our gymnasium is our cafeteria. We got, um, you know, tile floors. This is not like a gym. So I think uh, definitely elementary and middle school was very early. I realized like, oh, like I'm black, like, and, my experience is so much different from, you know, people, um, you know, in higher uh, social classes. And then tell me about how it was growing up in your area. So you were born in Oakland, but you were raised in Philadelphia. Talk a little bit about that. Um, so I didn't spend that much time in Oakland. I got a lot of family there, but I came to Philly um, around the age of elementary school. Mm -hmm. So this is where I just started life and my neighborhood, I would say, is like any other impoverished neighborhood. I grew up in Southwest Philly, 
um, it's an area that's plagued by a lot of like violence, um, drug abuse. So I feel like I saw any and everything growing up in my neighborhood. My grandmother, um, she's strong, very strong in her faith. So she tried to keep me in a church as much as possible. But as we know, we're kids, like when you're not around your parents, you're gonna see, do a lot and you're gonna to try to experience life. So I think at a young age, I was just like very rebellious because my grandmother had this structure and, you know, growing up in a West African household, it can almost be like you're being raised by drill sergeant parents. Like you got to like wake up at a certain time. Uh, we got certain days that we clean. Um, you always have to iron your clothes whenever you leave out the house. It's just very rigid. My friends still laugh at me to this day because like I still iron my clothes. <laughs> but um, it was just a very structured way of living. So I would say um, I had like the typical um, childhood, I would say a lot of what I thought was normal, I guess, at the time, I think that definitely like shaped my perspective as I went off, um, to college. And I think that's where like a lot of my unlearning started happening because growing up in poverty, there are a lot of things that you experience and you think like kids around the whole world experience these things. Um, and I think for me, I thought it was normal that like my family didn't travel much. So I, growing up, I didn't know that a big world existed outside of the constraints of my small community, my neighborhood. Um, and just due to financial reasons, we couldn't, you know, travel that often. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't exposed to diverse populations of people. Um, my neighborhood was predominantly black and Asian. Um, I don't think I went to school with a white person until maybe high school. And the population was, I would say maybe like 1%. So I think once I went to college, that was like a huge culture shock for me, like just being around people for the first time from like different social classes. And it, it hit me hard. That was like a time where I would say I really struggled a lot with like my identity. Um, and I just changed so much like over um, my time in college, like it's like a complete like 360. Mm -hmm. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah, no, it did. So then talk a little bit about your experience at Temple and then University of Pennsylvania. So you grew up in a predominantly black area, but that was kind of the first, first or second times that you were exposed to diverse populations and exposed to white people. Um, yeah. How did your mentality change? How did you change as a person? So I'll, I'll say I didn't actually start at um, Temple University. Um, I went to a school called Millersville before that. Mm -hmm. And that's in Lancaster, PA. Um, this was the first time I saw like Amish people in like farmland and like I'm an inner city kid. So I was like, what is going on? Like everywhere I was, like it smelled like, uh, you could just smell the farms uh, close by. You see people riding buggies right next to you on the street. And I would just say, I, I just had a hard time up there. Like I, I was very homesick. My family would come up and see me like, once a month or it was just very often um and I would say like I latched on to people from Philly because um it felt safe for me and I didn't really uh I guess embrace like the atmosphere that was created up there because it was just like so foreign to me so I pretty much stayed with all the black people um but I was only there for a short amount of time because it was so hard for me there so I think going to Temple this is like where I really thrived. Um, I'm not sure if you know, but they call Temple HBTU. 
because mm-hmm. uh, we have like a very strong black culture there. Um, and it definitely gives off HBCU vibes. So this was the first time where I saw black people who were like very successful. Um, like do, I saw entrepreneurs, I saw uh, engineers, I saw scientists, I saw anything you name of it, name it. And I just was like, I was super inspired just being there. And I feel like a lot of those connections will follow me throughout a lifetime. But this was definitely the first time where I saw black people that weren't, you know, from the same communities as me. And I, I grew up with the impression that all black people grew up in working class families. We all had like traumatic upbringings um, just because that's really all I saw. And when I went to Temple, I was in just college in general, that was the first time where I had conversations with other black people. And I would be like, oh, like, this isn't normal to you. Like, you didn't grow up seeing, you know, people get shot or like all your friends, you know, getting locked up and going to jail or, mm-hmm. you know, everybody around you wanting to grow up and like be an athlete rapper or like a drug dealer. Like you actually had like options. So I would say uh, it definitely opened my mind. And I think at Temple, that was the first time where I felt just inclined to like step into my greatness. So I just started to get very involved with the local community, um, whether that be like hosting like food drives, um, neighborhood cleanups. Um, I was in student government at Temple. So I would host like a lot of like town hall meetings and community panels, um, just trying to like make the community better because that's like what I'm super passionate about being from Philly. I did a lot of work with like the local North Philadelphia schools. I was the director of local and community affairs and like um, education is like super important to me. So just spending a lot of time with like um, the local high schools in the area, like grads, um, Strawberry Mansion and being able to like use my perspective growing up in Philly to like give back and like help the next generation. I would say that was something that like I'll always cherish because I feel like Temple really um, cultivated me into who I am today. So I think just being in that atmosphere with like such a diverse population, but like just so many like powerful black people, black students, I would say like it just like, um, it just was really inspiring um, just to learn from people, pick their brains. And um, like I said, just be open-minded to the, different experiences, different experiences of black people um, that I didn't know were possible. And then do you have any advice for your younger self? I think about this all the time. My answer is always (laughs) different. (laughs) But I think today I would tell myself to just um, step out into my greatness and not worry so much about like what people would think or um, failure. I think a lot of times growing up, I was looking for um, like the approval from other people to do things that I really wanted to do, things that were like close to my heart, things that were very important to me. I've been writing poetry since I was like, I'll say in middle school, that was like a great outlet for me to process some of the things that I would like witness in my community, some things that I would experience in my home. Um, It was just like a great way for me to like process life. And that was something I hid for like many years. It's something a lot of people don't even know about me still to this day. But I will always show my friends and they would be like, yo, this is like amazing work. And like more people need to see it. And I will always think like, man, they just saying that because it's my friends. But I also thought about the makeup of my community. I'm like, man, I'm going to be looked at as like soft and like, you know, a lot of growing up in poverty, um, you're operating from our survival mentality. So um, it's kind of like kill or be killed. So a lot of times you have to adopt, adapt a persona um, in order to be able to exist with the people around you. 
So I had like a lot of my talents. So I love writing. I love just creating. I love art. Um, I always had like a fascination with words um, and just like reading. So I would read a lot of books and just like take note of every word that I didn't know. And I would just <laughs> research it and try to learn it. And I ain't know many people that like did things like that. So I would say just like owning my like weird or like different and just not being afraid to like let that out onto the world because I feel like I made it to Penn up until the, like at this point in my life, it's still like mind blowing, but I would say like, I could have probably went to Penn for, for undergrad if I would have just like, you know, stepped out uh, on faith and like did a lot of things earlier. So I don't have any regrets now. I just use that perspective to give back to the next generation, but I just tell them to like, you know, don't be afraid of just being you and like letting your light shine onto the world. I had an experience where, uh, I was a part of a student organization during my time at Temple and we were speaking to a group of young black boys at Simon Gratz High School in North Philly. Mm -hmm. And we were asking all of the kids like what they wanted to be. You know, some of them said athletes, some of them said, um, you know, rapper, um, some of them said entrepreneurs. And it was this one kid, he was very shy and he said he was into coding. He wanted to create games. So he wanted to be a software engineer and everybody laughed. And they were like, man, that's stupid. Like you can't create games. And I just looked at him and I resonated with him so much. I was like, you know, like, hold on to that, that dream of yours. Um, it's different. It's something that you're like extremely passionate about and it's something that you love. And I was like, I wish I had more people to tell me to hold on to those things that, you know, made me different or like stand out from the crowd. And I don't think he was expecting to hear that. And I could see, like, we just had a moment where it was like, you know, like I see you and, um, yeah, I think that's just what life is about, just being able to, like, step out on, like, the things that you love and just be free and not really care about, like, what people think about you. Mm -hmm. Just as, like, a sidebar, um, my, well, my grandmother is, like, one of my favorite people, and growing up, whenever I would read stuff and I didn't know a word, I would always ask her what the word, like, meant, mm -hmm. and she'd be like, no, like, go look it up the dictionary, so, like, I would yeah. say, <laughs> um every I still do that if like someone's saying something to me either like I feel very comfortable like what does that mean like pause um and like a lot of my friends would kind of not make fun of me would be like why do you like why don't you just look it up later I'm like but I don't understand what you're saying now so like you need to right. I need to look it up so I'm very similar in that aspect um but thank you so today's gonna be a very interesting conversation that I'm excited about um we are going to be talking about being black and navigating family dynamics um and I think I've been very blessed because my family just in general, like it's, it's kind of like what you mentioned before, like when you're in a certain environment, you kind of assume that everyone else has the same thing. Not until when you actually talk to people that you realize like, oh, like that's not the case, you know? So um, I want to start by asking you, what does family mean to you? And I know that's a pretty general question. But like, what are like common themes that you think of that should be what family means? Man, I think um, just being in the social work field, one thing I learned is that uh, there's many different types of families. Mm -hmm. um, and just from my experience growing up, I think family was something that I didn't uh, like honor and accept enough. Um, I always thought that family meant having like a mom, a dad, and having like a traditional nuclear family. And anything mm -hmm. outside of that was like, it's not a real, you know, family. Mm -hmm. And I think having that like limited perspective, a lot of times growing up, I think I was like very ungrateful and like very unappreciative of the efforts that my grandmother and like my aunts and the people that were raising me were 
um, you know, contributing to my life. But I think as I got older, I just learned that, you know, family is just a set of people um, that care about each other, care a set of people that, you know, love you unconditionally. So no matter like what you do, the dumbest mistakes you make, um, whenever the world, you know, turn, smacks you down and like spits on you, kick you, um, you know, those are the people that you can rely on, you know, to just, you know, pick you up, dust you off, you know, bring you to home. And I think a lot of, uh, what family means to me now is like that place home, like having that like healthy home base. Cause I think a lot of times when I was in college, um, you're around so many different people. Um, you're cold switching all the time to like fit into your environment. And, you know, that can become draining. A lot of times like you lose yourself in that. And I will find it that, you know, sometimes I would just go home for a weekend and just like be around my family, my friends, and you just, you forget that feeling. And it's like, man, these are the people that like know me best. Like I can act out of character. I can like do the dumbest thing ever, but they know me. So they, it's just like, oh, like that's the Monte. That's Monte. Like it's, it's nothing. Whereas though, like when you're around people that you know, don't know, you're constantly on edge. Uh, a lot of anxiety comes with like code switching and, you know, it can just like wear you out and really like dampen your experience. I think a lot of what family means to me is just like, having that unconditional love and, you know, um, creating a healthy home environment, whatever that looks like to you. Uh, that's a lot of untraditional families in 2021. Mm -hmm. And I love that about our generation. Um, so I would say that's what family means to me. Yeah. And I think the unconditional love when I was thinking about this in this conversation in general was really what I kept coming back to unconditional love and consideration. Um, because I was very blessed to have my dad and my mom growing up and, having good relationships with both of them because having two parents that aren't considerate of you and don't necessarily love you or you don't have like a really good relationship with isn't as positive. So I had both of them and I have good relationships with them growing up and now. Um, but I do think that like, it genuinely has to do with loving and caring about people. It doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be like that nuclear, you know, family dynamic that people normally think about. Because even when I went off to Villanova, that was really my first time ever leaving home. And I created a family for myself there too. Um, exactly. Really, like, I didn't think of it as family because like we have like family and friends. But right. like my best friend, Maciel, like that was very much like my family at Villanova. Like I could depend on her for anything. If I called her, I literally remember calling her freshman year. I was distraught, so emotional, crying. And like, I'm not normally like that, especially like to the external world. And this girl left class, like she just left class and like found me on campus and just held me. Like that's the type of things that like, I think can be characteristic to family. Um, so if you feel comfortable, what was your family dynamic growing up and how do you think that kind of shaped how you view things? I would say definitely, like I said earlier, um, just having like the two different cultures under one household. So I felt like it was always like this, this just mm -hmm. tug and pull relationship because my grandmother, not only is it like a, a cultural divide, it's also like a generational gap in age. So mm -hmm. she has like a way that she might do things. And, you know, her, her children, that's like a generation in itself. So it's like a two, it's like a two generation gap. So I feel like she never tried to, um, appeal to my generation or like understand like the way that my generation does things so it was very much like traditional 
like 80s, 90s, like parenting. So it was very like, do as I say is no talking back. Um, you go to school, you do your homework, you do this. Um, you come back home at a certain time. It was just like very rigid and structured. And then I think um, my grandmother was also uh, a military brat. So her dad was like a sergeant in the military back home in Liberia. So like I said, it just was like very um, structured. Um, the punishments were different. Uh, I would say it just was very um, rigid, I would say. And I think going out into the world, um, that definitely made me want to like rebel more at a, at an early age. But as I got older and I went off to college and I matured, I was able to see all of the great things that my grandmother put into me because um, my grandmother always like collected like food, canned goods, um, clothing items, and we would send it back home to Liberia or, you know, various countries in Africa. And as a kid, I would be like, why are you taking my clothes? Like, why are you taking my old clothes and sending it to Africa? And my grandmother would be like, you know, be quiet. Like, you get new clothes all the time. You know, some people are like, you know, less fortunate or they could like really benefit from this. Um, I was raised in the church. And I think, you know, those early years of college, like when I was out on my own in a new city, I had to rely on my faith to get me through a lot of times. So I was praying more than ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, I think another positive thing was just uh, being able to um, appreciate like our ancestral identity and having that ancestral identity because that's a lot. Of, uh, that's a thing that a lot of Black people don't have mm -hmm. in America. Like you can do your ancestry, but it's nobody that you can like talk to. Like you, most times you can't like trace things back and like call someone or go visit Africa and, you know, find your family there. So me having that as a kid, that was something that I didn't always appreciate because I was immature. Like I didn't understand it. But as I got older, I was very appreciative of all of the culture that my grandmother put me, put into me. And um, I think at this point in my life, it's helped me with just having a sense of identity, a strong sense of identity, um, and purpose and being a part of a community that's so much like bigger than myself, so much bigger than the uh, community here in America because America's history is like not that far back. Um, but our history in Africa is like, it dates back like uh, centuries, I would say. So um, just having like that perspective and consistently learning every day, I was very appreciative as I got older, but during my younger years, it was definitely like a huge tug and pull and a lot of African parents as well, um, they believe a lot in education, but a lot of it can be focused on the money. So because being a first generation college goer, um, when I told my grandmother I wanted to do social work, she was like, you know, like, why don't you look into business? Or like, why don't you want to be a doctor or like an engineer? Because, you know, they never went to school and um, they know that those are like the more like profitable um, industries where you can make a living for yourself in this country, unfortunately. And for me growing up, I was like, you know, I spent my whole childhood like seeing you uh, commit to like service and like service on an international spectrum. Um, at my church, my grandmother was the uh, head of the foreign missions committee. And that was something that my church didn't even have. They integrated it because of her. So I spent my whole childhood just like watching her give back. Um, she would take in like kids from my neighborhood they didn't have anywhere to stay. Um, 
she would invite them over to dinner for like the kids that you know just were less fortunate and were having a hard mm -hmm. time and i would be so upset at her i'm like grandma why are you letting these kids come to my house <laughs> like it could be um I would say that isolated kid, the kid everybody makes fun of, or the kid that everybody, you know, that has the worst clothes, that would be the kid my grandmother would take in and she would make them feel like they were like on top of the world. So mm -hmm. seeing that growing up, I think it was only natural that I would want to like give back to my people and being like one of the helping professions. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be a doctor because I'm not that great at math and science. <laughs> um, so I was like, man, I'm naturally like a people person. I love talking to people. I think a career like social work, being a therapist or a counselor, that would be um, ideal for me. So I think uh, if it wasn't for seeing my grandmother do so much of that growing up, I don't think I would be here today, like trying to, you know, give people, give back and like help black people on like such a large scale. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very common thing for people to, I mean, I can speak to my own experience. I, I won't say I initially had a rigid childhood there were very much rules that you had to follow or you were punished um but I mean I wasn't grateful you know when it was happening like I, it didn't make sense to me why um I would get in trouble for certain things and, and I feel like a lot of times it's not really until you're older that you like look back and you are mixing with a lot of other people and talking about talking about things with other people and like hearing their experiences that you're like oh wow like that's not how like we do things at my house and that can be right. negative right um, and my dad would always say that, um, his mother, so my grandmother would always say to him, like, oh, like, there's no, like, book for parenting, like, there's no, like, written manual for it, um, it's one of the hardest things that you can do, and if you don't like my parenting, then when you have kids, like, you can change it, and, yeah. like, as a kid, I was like, uh, like, that's dumb, like, uh, whatever, yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, even when you go to college, like, you realize, like, okay, like, I didn't like, um, getting punished but like some of the things that people do out in public like I just would never do like that just doesn't make right. sense to me or like the values that you know you can be taught by your parents or guardians it, it there's a method to it and again I think it's beautiful because because there's no rule book to it it is very different and it can affect people positively and negatively right when you do grow up and you eventually do have kids if you decide to like you again can change and I think now that I'm like kind of in this like weird, I'll say transformative space in my life. Like I graduated college in May, mm -hmm. my first job, I'm uh, getting an apartment soon, things like that. Like I'm actually thinking about it. And it's funny because even though I, I won't say hate, cause that's a strong word, but even <laughs> a lot of the stuff that like, you know, my parents did with me growing up, like I genuinely thank them for doing that now. Yeah. Oh, if I had kids, like I probably would do X, Y, and Z. I would change a few things. Like I'd want to have more like open dialogue about certain things if they got in yeah. school or stuff like yeah. that. But like, things, it's like, yeah, okay. I didn't like that as a kid, but like in the long haul, it was a positive thing. Yeah. I um, think that's the, uh, no, I was just gonna say, I think that's the beauty of it. Like um, getting older and having a maturity to be able to discern like you know some of the things that um, affected you positively and some mm -hmm. of the things that may have been a bit more negative that you would like to discontinue mm -hmm. um, but I think uh, just that maturity I think that's like one of the huge factors and I think the value base like you said like that is something that when like you said when you start going around other people you get to see like oh okay like this is how you grew up and 
this uh, this is how I grew up. I wouldn't necessarily do that, but it doesn't make you like a good or a bad person. It's mm -hmm. just different. And mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I appreciate as well is like um, my grandmother's value for cleanliness. We used to wake up on Saturday morning, Saturday mornings and clean at like mm -hmm. seven, eight in the morning. As soon as the sun come up, my grandma come in the room, taking the cover off you, go back in the court, go polish the wood in the house, um, use the dust feather. And I think now as an adult, especially as a man, I'm one of the cleanliest people my friends know. Like when people come to my apartment, they like, why are you so clean? Like, they like, do it, do it always look like this? Or like, did you do this because you knew I was coming over? I'm like, no, I'm like a neat freak. But I think, um, you definitely get to appreciate a lot of those things uh, later on in life. Mm -hmm. And now, even that I'm going through this transformative time, like I'm kind of segueing into this, like my parents are always been a parent. They will always be figures of authority to me. But like now it's like, it sounds weird to be like, they're like becoming my friends almost. Yeah, definitely. Kind of <laughs> like advising me to do things as opposed to like telling me to do things. So even like the other day, um, I mentioned like I'm getting an apartment, which like is the first time I really would only have my own space because I've always shared either a room with my older sister or my roommate at school. So this is the first time I ever, I'm going to have my own room and have my own apartment as well. Right. So like I went to the store and I like really, really, really like this piece of, piece of furniture. And I was like, I had the money for it. I was like, okay, but I'm like pacing it like back and forth back and forth because I'm like should I buy it like I know I have the money but like what if like mom and dad don't like it? like da, da, da. I'm going right. like the manager's coming over she's like do you want help with this like is this your first time buying something and I'm like why would you say that I feel like I'm like sweating and I like call my mom and I was like hey like what do you think of this and she was like do you like it and I was like yeah like I love it like I've been sitting on this piece of furniture for the past hour she yeah had the money for it and I was like yeah she goes so why wouldn't you buy it Go for it <laughs> I don't know like do you want me to buy it she goes it doesn't matter if I want you to buy it like this is your space um so that's been something that's very unique because again growing up it was very much like they tell you what to do and you do it like that's yeah. um my dad always it well it's not a joke it's like a joke now that I can laugh at but like whenever he would tell us to do something he was like add right now after like that was like oh like come clean the dishes or something he wouldn't have to say right now, but you would have to put tech on the right now. Like, right. Right. <laughs> don't chill in your room. Don't do anything. Like, go do right. Um, But like now being able to, again, ask for advice, which I think is kind of cool. Um, something that I'm still definitely navigating because again, it's very odd to like, it's almost as like, as though like sometimes I'm still waiting for them to tell me like what to do. Um, yeah. Now everything that they taught me good and bad from growing up, yeah, I'm supposed to be able to apply by myself, which I think is really interesting. Um, right. But yeah, no, I was in the store for so long. <laughs> they were like, are you going to buy this? And I was like, cut. I don't know. <laughs> I did buy did it. Did you though. get it? It's really nice. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so very excited about that. That was my first like actual, well, I, I always say it's my big, like, or first big, like big girl purchase, but like I bought my car, but this is like, you know, it's just like a little bit different. It's different. Yeah. But yeah, so I thought that would be like a, a nice anecdote just to add on to, um, especially given that that is something that is happening in my life right now. But right. what do you think are some things that you want to continue if you decide to have kids? And what are things that you don't want to continue if you decide to have kids? I think the, the biggest thing that I would like to continue uh, is having that sense of cultural identity. 
I think that's like the biggest thing. Uh, my grandmother actually recently just passed. Um, and I think for my family, that cut off like a generation of family. Mm -hmm. um, so we just have to carry on everything that she instilled in us, uh, like all of the values. Um, so my aunts know how to cook a lot of the cultural dishes, which I'm very happy about because I love to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully I can learn to cook some of them. Um, uh, the styles of dress, uh, the mm -hmm. ways that we communicate with one another, and also just the biggest thing, like giving back. Um, also, my family talks a lot about um, visiting Africa sometime soon. We were going to do like a family trip, which would be a lot of our first time for the ones uh, that were born here and never went back. Uh, doing a family trip uh, back to Monrovia and, you know, seeing how my grandmother grew up and, you know, having that appreciation for her, you know, making the effort that she did to bring over so many of our family members here. So I think that is something I definitely am going to keep. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a lot that I'm gonna discontinue. Uh, just being a millennial and being a social worker, I feel like being a social worker, social work has definitely like opened my mind to like so many possibilities and new ways to looking at things. So I think the biggest thing that I want to discontinue is like um, that that authority to child communications, where it's like children don't know anything and like you have to do what I say mm -hmm. um, because. I just see how that can affect like your self-esteem, like your self-confidence, like your self-identity. Um, and it affects you once you start going out into the community, like trying to mingle when you hear your parents saying like, you know, stay in a child's place or don't speak unless spoken to. A lot of the rhetoric that like goes on in black families and then you go into the community and it's like, you don't know how to like network or like mingle in diverse groups of people. So I just want to have like a relationship with my children where like, they could come to me um, when they did anything. Even if I don't like what they did, they feel still feel comfortable enough to tell me. Um, I know teenagers, children of all ages, they're not gonna tell you everything, but I think just having that line of communication open for them to be uh, individuals and you know say, this is my life, this are the, these are the decisions I wanna make and me being able to fully support them. Uh, Cause I feel like it was a lot of things that I wanted to take up and like try for the first time, but my grandmother being my grandmother, like I said, it's a huge generation gap. She like, kids back in my day didn't do this growing up. So like, why are you trying to do this? And it was immediately like shut down. So mm -hmm. um, that's something that I don't want to do. It's, and I know that it was all out of love, but it's just, you know, I just want to discontinue that. I think the vibe for education is something I definitely want to keep. My grandmother would make us do things like, we had these placemats on the table when we eat and they would have like the 50 states on them. She would make us like memorize the 50 states. Uh, she would make us memorize Bible verses, <laughs> just like a lot of stuff. And I think also the value of, you know, faith and spirituality. Um, my grandmother was like a prayer warrior. Like, so when I was going through like a lot of tough times in my life, um, no matter how our relationship was, I would always just go sit in her room and just ask her to pray. Um, so I think for me, I'm like very much a spiritual being now. And that's something that I would like to uh, pass down. Um, I think those most of the things that I would like to pass down and, you know, discontinue. Awesome. I, I do think for me, again, I think my parents did a pretty good job with, they were the figure, but like, they still like taught somehow if anything happened, like I would call them, it might take me a little bit, but I would call. 
Um, but I do think that actively, if I do have kids, I want to ensure that like that's there. I don't want my kid to even like second guess it. Like I messed something up, call mom type thing. Right. Even if I'm like, I'm irritated, I'll be irritated in the car. I'll be like, get in the car. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> why would you do that? Um, but ensuring that they feel comfortable talking to you about absolutely anything. Is there anything else that you want to add to the conversation or you want the viewers to know? Feel free to plug your YouTube if you would like. I think the last thing on like what you just asked me, I just thought about this. Probably like some of the methods of like um, chastisement and like punishment. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times in the black community, not for all people, but a lot of the 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 punishments or chastisements are rooted in fear. So they're fear-based tactics instead of like being rooted in like love and respect. Mm-hmm. So something I don't want to do is like with my kids. Like I know a lot mm-hmm. of people, that's a conversation where it's like, um, it's just split on both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. But like I said, it just comes down to that that communication, which is like super big. Um, and just being able to like teach your kids like what they did wrong. I feel like a lot of times like kids get beat and they don't, they don't even they don't learn from what they did. <laughs> like, yeah. You just your parents just like get mad at you, whoop your butt, go to your room, get out of my get out of my sight. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know, that's not rooted in love. Like love is like, you know, patience and communication. Not that our parents weren't uh loving to us or didn't intend to love us, but I think a lot of um the black experience is rooted in trauma just due to our origins back to slavery. So a lot of our parents, our grandparents and their parents were just doing, you know, what they saw growing up. And I think uh, just in a, we're in a different generation where like, I don't think whooping people ever stopped anybody from doing anything. Uh, I think that actually made kids want to, you know, go do things more. <laughs> but um, I think uh, that's definitely something I want to change is like the methods of just like, um, teaching a child like right from wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's like something that's not talked about enough in the black community. And I think uh, just like doing the work of like healing for families. um, I think a lot of families, uh, we're not doing the work of like breaking generational curses. We become so focused on, you know, creating a living for ourselves, um, working, trying to get a job and have a stable environment that we don't do enough of the inner work to like heal and create new generations that are healthy and prosperous. So I think that's something like a huge focus of mine. I know there's a huge talk in the black community about creating generational wealth, but like when I talk to my friends, I talk to them about the idea of generational wellness and health. So, you know, doing the work of healing and families, going to therapy, promoting counseling. And um, I think that'll help us outwardly, whether it be in the education space or like the financial industries. Um, Cause I think if you got like a happy and a healthy home environment, um, I think it'll just work numbers to like, you know, the things that you can go out and do in the world. So I think that was just the last thing. Yeah, no, I actually, I think you either made a caption or something, but um, you talked about how people always forget that heal is the root word in healthy. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, (laughs) hold on a second. I think I also just love when like things on social media actually makes me think about things. but no, that's that's super important. And I do think that if people actually work on healing from whether that be traumatic experiences or just ex- negative experiences that they've experienced before, that will be positive because if you can heal from and not necessarily move past, but you understand like why that experience happened or 
understand the effects that that experience has on you moving forward, then like you can just navigate the world much more freely. Um, right. Which is something that, you know, I've tried to do through self-confidence growing up in a predominantly white area, being the only black girl was just not it. Um, and I had to unlearn that like my skin was too dark and it wasn't pretty and my hair was too big and frizzy or whatever the case may be. Um, but first I had to kind of sit in those negative feelings and heal from them to be able to move right. forward. So I, I very much resonate with that. And I think um, as a community, I think that'd be really positive as a whole. So general, you said generational wellness? Yeah, generational wellness and health. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I'm going to be putting Monte's YouTube and any other social medias that he wants me to share in the description box. Um, again, I think this is a really, really important conversation because a lot of times the Black community as a whole doesn't want to talk about our family dynamics um, because just of how large of an impact they have on us and that we just mm -hmm. really talk about, you know, the impacts that it can have, positive or negative. Um, so I think this is a really, really good starting place and I hope that the viewers appreciated it. But that is it for now. So tune in next time for another Being Black episode and thank you again, Monte. Thank you for having me. Bye.